For more than 25 years, Atlanta has tuned into my straightforward financial advice. I'm Dr. Gene Hensler, and this is Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. My staff and I will give you fact-based, no-nonsense answers to your financial questions. To have your questions answered on the air, send them to me, Dr. Gene at Hensler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, July 28th, 2018. The only thing we have to fear... The economic health of this nation has been... ...for essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline... Read. ...in the dollar... It's a late rally on Wall Street... ...too big to fail... ...growing the economy... ...growing the economy... ...amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Money Talks. Money Talks. Good morning, fam. You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most-respected money show on the radio. I'm Troy Harmon here with Jarrett McKenzie, who's right. a CFP in our financial planning department at Hensler Financial, and none other than the one and only Dr. Roger Tuttero. That'll teach you how to leave the door open. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Blew in with the tumbleweeds. How That's about right. That? Yeah, he's absolutely. our uh, chief economic advisor at Hensler Financial, and uh, he's uh, also a professor and various other. you got various hats over at Kennesaw State, right? I do. Try to wear more hats than Sinatra if I can. Yeah, how about that? Only <laughs> one head but a whole lot of hats. That's it. That's yeah. it. So. All right. Well, uh Guys, let's dive right into it. S&P 500 is up now over 7% year-to-date. Um, had a pretty decent uh, week in the last week. Uh, what were we up? One, one seven, I think it is. Yeah, something like that. You say 7 or 17? We got 1.17% ah, on the year-to-date. 7.24 on the one-year number. No, that's not one year. That's year-to-date. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, technology still knocking the cover off the ball, up 17% year-to-date. Uh, but we do have, looks like our fang might have lost a tooth. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly did. We, uh, we had uh, Facebook earnings uh, this week, and uh, it wasn't good. Yeah, um, down about about 20% on Thursday right. afterwards. And, of course, you know, when when you're Zuckerberg, you lose about uh, fifteen billion when that happens, right? Yeah, yeah no big deal. Yeah, no, nah, that's just right. Just fifteen. Yeah, but, it, right. but it does. I mean, listen, he obviously is a miracle of a story over the last decade. Sure. But it does remind us that some of these high flyers sometimes can be very volatile. Sure. Without so, a doubt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think when we were looking last week. Uh, I've been looking at those numbers. Uh, technology just since the first of January, two thousand seventeen. Uh, when it was only 20% of the S&P 500, it's now 26% of the S&P 500. Right. Uh, but it's gained 58% since that period, uh, you wow. know, over the last year and a half. I'd be curious to see what amazing. the S&P looks like if you were to back out that IT number. I mean, a lot of folks, I think, have been kind of it's, – it's skewed when people are looking at their portfolios and they've got a proper weighting between sectors and are well-diversified. And they're sure. asking why the market's doing so much better than, you know, any, any kind of average right now. And I think that's got a lot to do with it. And a lot of folks need to be reminded that uh, that's that's what's really going on here. As you said, Troy, I mean, the, just the weighting in the index alone is ramping up. So as that happens and they continue 
continue to do better, you know, it's just compounding and, and sure. lose sight of, of proper diversification. And we're just getting a lot of that from clients right now, yeah. having to remind them about how this, this all works. With yeah, not only that, you know, mid-14, 2014, I think it was, uh, we had a, a huge decline in uh, energy prices. Oil started hitting the skids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But if you look just uh, just during this period, uh, this this second quarter, Earnings growth in energy alone, 163%. Uh, Who wouldn't want to have some exposure to energy right now? And over the last week, it's up 2.5%. I mean, that's that's pretty significant. Uh, Year-to-date, up 8.33%. It was one of those few places where we could see uh, true value in the market. Um, But, you know, we've talked about several segments. Uh, Jarrett, you and I have uh, beat this drum for for quite a while now. Consumer staples. What yeah. in the world is going on in consumer I'm staples? I'm still blown away by that number. Yeah. Year to date, down five percent. You look at uh, some of these companies. I was looking at Philip Morris this week mm-hmm. uh, with a five point four percent dividend yield. Yeah, covered, even after as beaten down as it's been, which I mean, that's incredible. Right. Yeah, you know? covered uh, covered one point one eight times. So uh, earnings and cash flow is sufficient to cover that dividend. Well, it's not because uh, because there's there's fear that it will be cut. It's it's really just ugly news. And really, if you read deeper into the earnings uh, for the last couple of cycles, what we've seen is uh, it's fear about the uh, lack of adoption of e-cigarettes in Japan. <laughs> it's just amazing to me. That's not mm-hmm. really their core business, but it might be what, uh, you know, the market expects out of growth. But uh, that's that's been the big story the last yeah. couple of uh, earnings uh, releases. So um, things are crazy. Um, you know, if you've owned tech stocks for the last couple of years and you, <laughs> you look like a genius right now. but Man, I will uh, tell you, it is a great time to trim that information technology and, and maybe buy some staples. We're seeing all kinds of discounts no doubt. Uh, all throughout that sector. Some really good companies that are not only at a discount but are going to provide a lot of defensiveness you know, if we do move into a downturn. Right, so. yeah. Well, that, that, is the, that is the essence of asset allocation, right? That's is absolutely that when you have right. a run-up in one sector, you take some money off the table. Right, rebalance. You put it in a less, rebalance it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what it does, it means it guarantees you that you get to pocket some of your profits. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, this week we got some economic releases. Existing home sales were uh, were reported uh, saying sales fell for the third straight month in June. Uh, total sales fell 0.6%. Revised May totals uh, were down by 2.2% as well. Uh, the housing market's been really interesting, and, and uh, Roger, if you've got anything to add there, I, I welcome it. But uh, housing starts have slowed as well. Right. Um, dipped in June, fell 5.3% uh, from the revised May totals, um, but they're still 2.4% above the June or uh, the the July no June 2017 pace. So uh, one thing that we have been seeing, and I know I even see some anecdotal evidence of it locally, is uh, new homes being built are at a lower price. So the price, the, the uh, medium price is uh, perceptibly low uh, relative to its um, 2017 levels. Right. And I think that's probably a good thing because there is some um, very early evidence that some pockets of the housing market are getting a little expensive. Right. Um, you know, here in metropolitan Atlanta, for example, we know that in some of the most affluent suburbs, uh, home prices, the amount of the houses above a million dollars, the month supply there might be getting a little bit frothy. Um, the interesting part, though, is when we talk about new home construction is remember that you've got to have the lots, the labor, 
and access to the materials to make it all work. Right. And the truth is there are the lot inventory created by the failing of the banks from 2007 and 2010 is largely depleted. Uh, the financing for new lot development is still a little bit muted. And uh, there's very few industries that are complaining about not or complaining more about not having access to labor than construction is. Oh yeah. And so tight labor markets can't hold back growth. We're he- I'm hearing it around the country from people in construction and manufacturing, logistics, social trade, you name it. And so I think all those things are probably pulling back the ability to produce more homes as well. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned tight labor markets. We got uh, news out of the. Uh, um, job market this week, just unemployment insurance claims, uh, although they're a little bit less reliable in this week, and it is a weekly report, uh, you know, because of the the, uh, the issues with uh, holidays, July 4th, this is going to be that reported week. But didn't we see recently uh, unemployment claims fall below 1950s levels? Uh, it's uh, they certainly it's got it. Certainly has become a very tight labor market. It is a uh, for the first time in a long time, the lab- the worker side has the upper hand. Yeah. Uh, you know, we saw an unemployment rate get down to 4%. And I think last month it ticked up a little bit. It did. But for a good reason, because the labor participation rate came right. up. And sure. that has been one of the great paradoxes of this expansion, is why the percentage of uh, the over-16 non-institutionalized civilian population that's in the labor force has remained several percent below where it was before the recession. And if you look at the data so far, it appears to be indicating it's actually the younger age cohorts, not their their more mature counterparts. Yeah, uh, we saw uh, January, actually, I saw some numbers coming out that uh, wage growth was looking like we were going to see like a 2.9% tick up in January. But uh, you know, you look at the follow-through, we, we got CPI. We didn't get that this week, but mm-hmm. it's interesting to talk about. It's one of the things that I watch closely, and I'm sure you do too. Uh, 2.9%, I think, mm-hmm. was the headline the last time we saw right. a report. 2.3 after you strip out uh, energy and food. Mm-hmm. Uh, PCE deflator was right there with it. Yeah, actually, uh, core, core PC, I think core PC is 1.96, I think, yeah, over the last right 12 months. Yeah, it's right at 2%. And it's funny because you're starting to hear concerns over that. And, and if you remember, Chairman Bernanke and Chairman Yellen, they advocated that the reason we did this quantitative easing was to try to get inflation back around 2%. Mm-hmm. So what we're getting now is essentially what we've wanted for monetary policy for a while. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of the president's commentary? It sounds to me like he's trying to give a little guidance to the Fed. Uh, he's not the first to ever try that, but... Uh, uh, you know, he said just in the last week that uh, I think it was a, a CNBC uh, interview right. that he was doing that he didn't think it was wise to continue to raise rates. I, to me, it uh, sounded like he was given guidance so that uh, the, the uh, dollar didn't appreciate too greatly relative to other currencies, which there's something to talk about there, too, right? Right. And you know, typically, the, the Fed defends its independence from political influence it has from the beginning. Uh, but, you know, the president obviously has the bully pulpit. He has the ability to weigh in on any aspect of policy, whether it's under his direct control or not. Uh, I, I would make a couple of comments there. One, I mean, keep in mind what uh, Mr. Trump, President Trump's business background was. Obviously, this is a guy that's going to like people to be able to borrow money cheap. Sure. That's right. how he built his empire. Right. Yep. Uh, but the other part I think you really hit on, which is if you raise short-term rates quickly, that tends to raise the spot market at least for the domestic currency. Correct. And so if you are trying to... Um, worry about U.S. exports. Anything that makes the dollar stronger makes U.S. produced goods more expensive on foreign markets. Right. It makes foreign produced goods cheaper here. Yep. So he probably is concerned not just about the cost of borrowing 
uh, upon people pursuing debt, but perhaps about what it means for the value of the dollar. No doubt. Uh, all right, well, we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, we will talk about uh, Dog of the Week and then get into some trade tariffs. Stick around. You're listening to Money Talks. Dog of the Week this week. Uh, I don't know if you guys have watched the news real close, but uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, some of the uh, reporters at National Public Radio came out and uh, made mention that Japan is suffering from a shortage of workers uh, due to the decline in national birth rate. Part of that was uh, they have a shortage of uh, ninjas that work in Aiga, uh, <laughs> a city in, in Japan. Uh, so what happened was, uh, shortly after that report was made, um, the folks at Iga City came in and their email box was flooded with applicants to become new ninjas. Jared, right? I bring this up because I know you. I used real to be quick. a ninja, actually. Oh, yeah. I, you wouldn't I, believe it looking I'm at sorry. me. Though. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure you're as stealthy as they come. You can probably sneak oh, in and out I'm of I'm about a, the farthest in, thing in from fact, it, actually. Where, where'd Jared go? <laughs> That's a problem. I don't, I don't know. When you need a ninja, how do you find one? I, That's you know, true. Or yeah. That number. is quite you the can't, can't just blow a dog whistle and have a ninja <laughs> no, pop out no. of the curtains. No, I, I just think it's hilarious that uh, that they did that. But uh, the mayor of Iga City did have to come out and make an official statement. Uh, he had a, a press conference and said, uh, you know, you we appreciate the attention, but uh, Iga City is not looking for new ninjas. They do have a museum there that actually heralds... Um, just what ninjas were. It's it's mm-hmm. one of the draws to the city, and uh, it, it just uh, turned into uh, one of those things that he encouraged people to come and visit them and, and get to see their, their thing. But, right. Jared, I know that anybody that knows you recently, uh, you've been building a, a barn out in Paulding County. God's country, Troy, I told God's, you that. God's country, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway... Um, and I wondered if you might could take up some of the slack since you are an ex-ninja or maybe still practicing and just don't tell anybody. <laughs> well, that's the primary purpose to... of the barn. You know, I need some space to, to really yeah. get in my exercises. But, no, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because something Roger was talking about before the break uh, in the labor shortage, man, it, this is a, a project we've been working on for quite a while now and something that was actually supposed to be done in April. And here we are into July, and I'm just now getting finished with it. And uh, there was a, a function of that that was weather-related, but primarily it was you know trying to get the workers there to do what sure, we needed them to do. Uh, yeah, I mean they're spread so thin and they're in such a hurry. We've had to have some of them come back and redo things. And you know it is it's it, it's funny how that works. Where you think okay unemployment, uh, which is an indicator that we of course watch and, and it's doing well, but you get to this point to where it actually can become a negative in that sense, um, and it's really impactful because yeah. it will it will stifle growth like you said, Roger. Yeah, part of this uh, part of this report noted that uh, the pay was about sixty five thousand pounds, or the equivalent thereof, for a ninja. Um, for a ninja, I just wondered, you know, Jarrett, since you got a new place out there and 
you yeah. realize there's all this supply. Maybe for for uh, the price yeah. of RC cola and a moon pie, you can probably put a bunch That's of ninjas. Right. I will turn that thing into a dojo real quick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, there you have it, folks. You can call Paulding in. County. Yeah, That's if, right. Uh, if you need to get a hold of Jared, it's 770-429-9166. You can call Hensler Financial and ask for Jared. I'll be around, I'm sure. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Uh, so uh, before we continue on down that path, Roger, uh, one of the things that's been going on lately, uh, starting in March, uh, we've seen uh, lots of build-up to this, but we now have uh, newly imposed tariffs on uh, goods that we import to the United States from various other countries. Now, there's been some specific news on it this week, but uh, uh, as it started, it was it was really mostly aimed, or so we believe, at China. Um there's been some back and forth. If you watch the news, um, you know, it's a very politically charged right. uh, note. But you don't find an economist that's ever going to say that a tariff is a good thing. <laughs> but in this case, and I've been saying it all along, I really believe it's more of a negotiation tactic. Right. And and that seemed to be justified a little bit, at least my belief, this week when uh, we did see uh, the president blink, if you will, um, in his uh, negotiations with the, the EU, uh, he blinked in as much as, well, they blinked. Right. Uh, everybody's decided that they'll put their tariffs to the side, and the only one still remaining seems to be China. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because all economists, I think all economists pretty much would agree that the getting in the tariff game is very, very, very um, dangerous because we believe that prices are signals and prices help us allocate resources. And the argument behind free trade is that is that everyone benefits because uh, we all as consumers get access to cheaper goods. Right. Obviously, if you happen to work in an industry where the country you're in doesn't have a comparative advantage, then your employment in that industry could be harmed. Sure. And so you have to retool, and sometimes you've seen government policies support that. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, though, in, in defense of the tariff debate at least, is we have a concept in economics called the theory of the second best. And what it says is if you have various distortions in the economy, then removing one distortion doesn't necessarily take you to a more efficient outcome. That's very esoteric. But the way that you would kind of spit it into this is if you already have some tariffs in place and you have uh, countries subsidizing some industries and you have entry restrictions, then it, it, the case gets a little bit more complicated to analyze. And I think fundamentally what's going on is that President Trump is a different kind of president. I don't think anybody disputes that, whether yeah, you're pro-Trump no or anti-Trump. And, um, you know, I like to say growing up in my neighborhood, there used to be an old saying on the playground that the first punch is worth 15 pounds. <laughs> and so I think he kind of op opens negotiations in many cases by throwing, lobbing a little bomb across sure. across the bow. Yeah. And so I think that I think what he wants to do is hit reset on the way that the trade deals are structured. Yeah. And I think that his trade team and uh, in commerce is about, about as strong as any group he has. Yeah. I do hope that what it does is I hope it allows us to um, hit reset and negotiate a much more open relationship with Europe. I do think with regard to China that we have to say it's not just about tariffs. It's about respecting intellectual property. Right. It's about treating American businesses fair and joint ventures. And uh, I, think, I think that, you know, I'm hopeful that we will see those those kinds of areas have some progress over the coming months. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, I mean, getting in a situation where countries are raising tariffs on each other, 
uh, that's not a, that's not a productive situation. It can right. slow economic growth and and probably you know the tariff wars can actually cause recessions if they get bad enough. I'm not tying that to this year uh, situation, but I think we need to at least um, give the president a little bit of running room here to see if in fact this is a strategic negotiation. Yeah, I saw some recent tweets from him. In fact, the last couple of days that uh, that are are saying just that. You know, be patient. I've got a plan. Uh, I, I truly believe that that's what's going on. Uh, if you if you look at everything, if you can dig through and get past the politicized uh, uh, craziness that you mm-hmm. see in the in the papers, sometimes um, you will see that uh, not only the U.S. but we've seen in the last month Japan, the EU, Australia, uh, and and uh, various other countries that have uh, leveled similar charges that you just put out, the intellectual, intellectual property, especially where it, where it uh, pertains to their, uh, you know, their electronics industry. Um, they have all levied mm-hmm. complaints with the WTO. Right. Uh, that's another thing that seems to be in play here is uh, maybe reforms at the WTO, um, you know, in, in regard to how they're handling China. Now, I saw a story, and you can tell me if you've heard anything about this or if it even makes sense, but uh, that's saying that China wants to be considered as a developed nation. However, they go to the WTO to get favorable treatment as if some of their industries are, right. you know, it's still a, um, a developing country, so sure. they need the protections. That, that's a reasonable claim to make, and that's the reason that people try to apply uh, tariffs. So... China seems to me like they want to be invited to the adults' table, but they're still acting like kids, if you, <laughs> if you want to give it that. I mean, is that reasonable? Well, they wouldn't be the first people accused of trying to have their cake and eat it, too, to right. use a culinary metaphor. Um, you know, they are, much, particularly in the urban areas, um, looking a lot more like a developed nation, certainly. Um, but uh, they, they, they are still an economy where a disproportionate amount of their activity is driven by their investment spending domestically and by exports. And so they are going to continue to protect their ability to sell products to the U.S. Sure. The other comment I'd make on the tariffs is the game changer now is really about the automobile tariffs. Sure. Because, I mean, before that went in place, you were really only talking about tariffs that by some estimates were less than 5% of imports. Sure. But if you do put the, the proposed automobile tariffs in the mix, that really takes the number up a lot higher. Sure. And so that's going to be interesting to watch. But hopefully, hopefully we'll come out of this discussion with Europe uh, in a more um, more balanced and open way. Yeah. yeah. Well, as President Trump has alluded to, I mean, I think a big part of this is them trying to appropriate the, the imbalance that exists and, and get us back to a more appropriate balance between what exists today. And, and I look at it kind of like the, the tax reform. You know, you can't do that or, or have any reform in, in these areas like that without some short-term pain. So people are, right. are worrying about how this is affecting things in the immediate yeah. term. And I tell them, look, while there, while there might certainly be some short-term pain, I think that in the long term, it's going to be better off because the, the objective here is to obviously get us to a better place as a nation uh, and, and one where we've got a more appropriate balance. And apropos of you saying long-term, keep in mind that probably the worst thing that our investors can do Mm-hmm. Think that they're doing, they're running their own hedge fund, and we don't want them out there day trading right. based upon which way they think the tariffs are going to break. Yep. Oh, yeah. um, so, you know, lo- let's, let's take a very long term perspective on this yep. and hope that uh, we get free trade and hope that what happens is it allows our economies to grow faster. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, I uh, want to ask you another question, maybe about uh, the short term plan for. Uh, 
uh, bolstering farmers, which we did get that as well this week uh, related to these tariffs. You're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. you a long time doctor i consider you one of my most valuable long-term investments and when it comes to my investments i always do my homework Listening to Money Talks, I'm Troy Harmon here with Dr. Roger Tuttero as well as Jarrett McKenzie, and uh, we've been talking a little bit of trade tariffs and uh, economics. Um, did want to ask one last thing. It seems like a short-term fix, and wanted to get your opinion on it, Dr. Tuttero. Uh, we saw this week a bill to uh, bolster farm. Uh, I guess a subsidy, $12 billion, uh, to help the farmers out who are being hit by this right. tariff. Um, and it's it's directly from President Trump, and uh, he's catching some fire, even from uh, from the, some of uh, the Republican Party uh, senators and elected officials from the Midwest. Uh, what do you make of that? Is that really just a short-term fix to see what comes of uh, to kind of hold them over until we see the end of this? I think that's what what they're trying to do. I mean, obviously, I'm not a big fan of subsidized industries. Right. Um, I think the concern is that China's response in terms of tariffs to us heavily weighed upon the soybean and pork industries, and so I'm sure they're going to try to relieve some of the pain felt by those those farmers and um, and you know, we've, it's not just China. We've had discussions about whether the dairy industry is treated fairly from Canada, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is this is again long term outlook. I think this might be a bit of a band aid. He's trying to put on it to calm everyone down yeah. while we work on on a on a broader solution. Yeah, that seems right to me. Uh, it uh, it's pretty amazing when you look at the uh, trade imbalance. Five hundred five billion dollars in. Uh, Imports from China last year to the U.S. We buy about 129 billion from them. Uh, I mean, sell 129 billion to them rather. Yeah. Uh, you know, they got in a kind of that tit for tat for a while, and uh, now we've imposed uh, tariffs on about 200. Right. Two billion of their products, so they're out of the game already. Yeah, no, it's important to remember when we have a trade deficit of that magnitude. You know, in the aggregate, our country has not run a trade surplus since, I think, 1975. Yeah, not surprising. Um, but keep two things in mind. Number one, that trade deficit we have with China is what allows me to go into Best Buy and buy 200-inch high-definition televisions for $88 or something yeah, like no that. Yeah. Right. So those cheap consumer goods are awful attractive. And the other part of it is that trade deficit is offset. Uh, those dollars come somewhere, and they tend to come back and buy U.S. Treasury securities. Yeah. And so, you know, in a flexible exchange rate regime, you get a balancing of payments, which mm-hmm. means whatever trade deficit we have tends to offset with a surplus on the capital account. Right. Yeah. So. I know we talked about uh, interest rates a little earlier. Uh, we are expecting to have two more 
quarter of a percent uh, interest rate increases um, later in 2018. But I notice uh, that the, the Chinese renminbi or yuan, however you mm-hmm. want to talk about the, the currency and the name, uh, has appreciated almost 8% since uh, the early days of this talk back in April. Right. Uh, I say appreciate, depreciated, actually. Um, you know, so the dollar strengthened relative to that. And what that does is just makes... Uh, their exports still more attractive, at least right. in their domestic economy. And uh, what kind of risks do they run uh, of of uh, possibly derailing their economy from from devaluing their well? Their I mean, currency? if they're allowing their currency to come down, it's going to make their they're going to get um, um, it helps them in terms of exporting product to us. Um, the interesting part, of course, is that whatever dollar denominated assets they have. Um, when they sell those or when they receive dividends on those and they convert them back, it actually makes a little bit of money on the round trip there as well. Sure. Uh, but the, cool, the interesting part, though, is if you go back and you look over the last 20 years, uh, until about, I think it was 2006, the Chinese currency was tied against the dollar. Sure. And then we moved to a broader basket that they pegged against, and then they allowed it to fluctuate within a pretty big range. And we've seen essentially um, them go up in value as much as 25% to sure. 30% during that time, and that helps us some too. Sure. Um, you know, manipulation of currencies, um, leveling the playing field with regard to regulatory environment. There's a lot of things that, that go into consideration, not just what tariff we place on things. Sure, yeah. The only thing it seems to me is maybe they risk uh, domestic inflation, uh, you know, with a with a uh, weakening of their currency. Sure. Is that not reasonable thought? Yeah, it can. It, certainly any globally traded commodity could go up in value as their currency drops. And we've seen that ourselves. We've seen, in you know, relationships between the price of oil per barrel sure. and, and the strengthening and weakening of the dollar. Yeah. All right. Good deal. Well, uh, let's get to a few questions. Uh, we do have some uh, questions today from our, our listeners. Uh, before we get into that, let's uh, give them a way that they can get in touch with us. Uh, you can call us, 770-429-9166. Talk to a human being and uh, ask your questions. You can also send a, a uh, email, drgene at hensler.com. That's spelled D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. Uh, or you can call us on our question hotline, 1-855-429-9166. And uh, this week we actually do have one of those. Uh, Tom's got us a question, and I'm going to play it, and we'll answer right behind it. So here you go. My name is Tom. If you have some General Electric stock, which uh, you bought at 24 and 17 so you have a loss, uh, would you dump it now as a loss cause and take the money? and maybe buy Apple uh, or Amazon or one of the tech stocks or maybe even buy IBM. But the main question is, would you sell your GE right now? And if you have extra funds, then would you buy Apple or uh, Delta or something else? Uh, I would appreciate any suggestions. Thanks. Bye. All right, well, there we go. Uh, Tom has got a question about GE. Jarrett, I know we talk a lot about oh, yeah. uh, about harvesting losses. If yeah. it's in a taxable account, it's probably uh, a relatively easy decision to make. We got mm-hmm. the markets up over 7% year to date. Uh, I would assume right. that uh, you know if you rebalance your account uh, from some of those tech stocks and buy some of those that have been beaten up, then you're probably going to realize some gains. Yep. Uh, you can also realize a loss in GE short term and uh, and do the same. But to the uh, specifics of the question, uh, GE has suffered 
a yeah. lot lately, uh, and and probably for good cause. I mean, still the biggest question around GE is which of their assets are they going to sell mm-hmm. to get out of the quandary that they're in. Uh, that's never a good situation for a company. You don't want to have them say, I mean, you want your assets to be generating right. excess capital, which is precisely the reason that we invest in companies. So, um, you know, number one, if it is in a taxable account, it probably doesn't hurt. Uh, it makes it a lot more sensible for sure. I mean, if you're going to sell something for a loss and it's in a taxable account, yeah. And, and like we were talking about a week or two ago on the show, Troy, I mean, last year you didn't have these opportunities because everything was up. You right. know, and so this year when you got not only GE but some of these other consumer staples like we were talking about yeah. earlier that, you know, you can take a loss to help you take some of these IT gains that you've made and then offset some of that, uh, it's going to make it a lot more sensible to do it. And I would say, you know, if, if you are going to sell General Electric, um, that, that's probably a good idea to do. However, I don't know that I'd go in and, and buy some of these other companies that were mentioned at such premiums right. uh, because they certainly are trading at, at quite – quite large premiums right now. But I'll, I'll tell you, we've had a number of clients ask some similar questions as Tom here. And so I've, I've had Troy's team uh, looking into GE quite a bit lately. And what, what the feedback I'm getting from them is that, look, while, while GE will very likely turn around at some point, and that may be two or three years from now, there are some there are a lot better opportunities for that money in the sure. meantime. So while you know we we might start looking at GE again down the road, I don't think that anytime soon that the kind of turnaround that's necessary there for a company that big is not going to be quick enough for it to be I think sensible to hold something like that now when when you got things like Procter and Gamble and uh, Walmart, McDonald's, some of these others that are still going to perform just as well during a downturn if that's where we're headed. Yeah, uh, one quick comment on GE. If you can remember, there was a time where they had gotten so broad. They were in everything from technology to industrial to yeah. financial services. Sure. Where people were starting to say, gee, it looks like a proxy for the S&P 500. Yeah, it was a so, mutual fund, no doubt. <laughs> that's right. So it, might, it may make some sense for them to step back and diverse themselves from their or divest themselves from what they see to be less than core industries. Yeah. Sure. And get lean and mean and focus on a couple segments again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as far as my opinion on moving from industrials right now, which is what you would do, into a technology stock. I, you know, of the ones that you asked, I think Apple is viable. But why wouldn't you look at uh, others in the industrial sector? Uh, maybe one like a floor corporation, FLR, a uh, construction company, had uh, uh, poor first quarter earnings, uh, suffered from uh, some losses in, um, in uh, power plant builds, uh, the company looks really attractive with a PEGI ratio. That's the forward PE divided by the growth plus yield of 0.56. We usually look for a company selling at one or lower in that regard. So it's cheap relative to its growth prospects. Uh, it's one yeah. that we do recommend. Lockheed Martin, another that uh, we really like, uh, recommended in our, our dividend portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find some decent industrial companies right now, and, and I really would like that move better than yeah. trying to move out of industrials, which is a cyclical-type business, into technology, which is also cyclical. Right. You're not really getting a, a, a huge bump, and, and assuming that your portfolio is already uh, relatively well-diversified, why not leave it yeah. well-diversified? So... Uh, Tom, again, we we thank you for calling in, using the technology. Uh, We're going to take a real quick break, and when we come back, we'll answer a few more questions. Stick around. You're listening to Money Talks.
we're back. You're listening to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon here with Dr. Roger Tuttero and Jarrett McKenzie, and uh, we've been talking a little bit of everything, some uh, trade tariffs and economics and general electric. Uh, we do have some other questions, so why don't we just dive right in there. Uh, Jarrett, this one looks like it might be for you. Carlos from Avondale Estate says, uh, I'm not married and don't have children, so I assume my retirement accounts will be part of my estate. My sister thinks I should create a trust to be the beneficiary to be the beneficiary. That's easy to say <laughs> of my IRA. That seems like a lot of expense. Uh, what would be the advantage of this? Well, first of all, I would say that you know while while I think there is a connotation associated with trust that they are expensive, um, they can be pretty straightforward and, and relatively inexpensive, particularly in a case like this where the, the majority of the estate is pretty simple. Uh, and I would say there, there's two main reasons, Carlos, why uh, I, I think personally um, that that would be a good idea if this is something you are considering and, and don't have the kids. Uh, number one being that the trust is going to give you some control from beyond the grave, as they say. Uh, that's, that's going to allow you to uh, stipulate some of your wishes and, and make sure that beyond just this money going outright to someone via an inherited IRA, which is how an individual would otherwise uh, assume these funds upon your passing, uh, the trust is going to allow you to make those stipulations and, and kind of dictate a little more so uh, how those funds are ultimately used. Uh, secondly, um, as you may or may not know, if, if the funds go into an inherited IRA for whomever you were to designate a beneficiary uh, of, that person is going to be required to uh, take a required minimum distribution from that account each year. All inherited IRAs have that requirement. Uh, but with the trust as beneficiary, uh, you would be able to, or, or the beneficiary, I should say, uh, of the trust is going to be able to stretch out those payments uh, over the, the lifetimes of either that generation or even multiple generations, which uh, is going to extend the longevity of that money. And so that may or may not be important to you. Uh, you know, I don't know how much extended family that you have, but uh, if you don't have a particular beneficiary in mind and, and would like to have some say-so, if you will, uh, after your passing, then uh, the trust would give you a great opportunity to do that. And, and again, the cost of them, while they can get uh, expensive if, if you complicate matters by you know having very specific <coughs> trusts that uh, do certain things, I think for purposes of what we're talking about here as simply the beneficiary of an IRA, uh, you might find that it's, it's relatively inexpensive and um, give you some different options there. So. All right, so uh, there you have it. Uh, one more question. I wondered how long this was going to take to make it to our radio show. Uh, <laughs> Sundar from Alpharetta asks, we hold Papa John's International as something fun to watch as the kids are very passionate about pizza. Uh, by the way, I, I really do advocate getting your kids involved in, uh, in your investments, and this one uh, gives you lots and lots of lessons to talk about with the kids. Absolutely. Uh, so his question is, I've been reading the headlines about the founder, John Schneider, uh, resigning amid scandal, and now today uh, there are talks of a merger with Wendy's. This must have been last week. Uh, what is your outlook? So, uh, yeah, there there was uh, a uh, report that Schneider had been talking to Wendy's prior to his uh, dismissal from the company uh, although I have not seen anything official now, and I think that probably is off the table. I would be amazed if Wendy's wanted to get in the middle of this mess at the moment. Yeah. Um, what we have seen, obviously, 
Uh, and the prices training... certainly become more attractive, I would assume, though. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, that's that's the problem, though. We we really haven't seen, uh, you know, the five-year earnings growth uh, about 14%, a little better than 14%. So uh, earnings had been growing. Uh, since some comments that he made back during football season last year, uh, the stock has really been struggling. Uh, he tried to tie his abysmal sales uh, in the fall to um, – to the NFL and their political issues. Why in the world would a CEO want to politicize their business? I don't have a clue, but you see it happen way too often. Um, and now, you know, he uh, he was asked to uh, step down. He stepped down, and now he's since he owns 32% or thereabouts of the company, he's trying to fight his way back into uh, the the leadership role of the business. So. I don't know if you guys have an opinion on this or not. Uh, it just seems like a, a mess. And well, I think the company has even had to evoke the, uh, their poison pill to keep him from taking over. Yeah. The, the one quick comment I will make about it is that this, while it's certainly no Enron, is just another example of the concentration risk you run if you overweight yourself to stuff that maybe you're very fond of or you work for the company or whatnot. Uh, Something as simple as a comment being made and the ramifications of that can can really hold a company back. Uh, and, and I don't want to say bring them down. That's clearly not where Papa John's is today. But uh, something that had nothing to do with the business prior to that happening is now causing the business to suffer greatly and, and, yep. and the shareholders as well, ultimately. Uh, and is all the more reason that this is, should serve as a reminder to uh, diversify your investments and, and yep. not be too heavily weighted in any one thing. It's what we call specific company risk. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. You just never know the source of it. And quite often what you wind up with is, uh, you know, just the actions of the CEO, something that somebody yep. said. Honestly, you know, when I think about it for my for my kids, if I had owned uh, Papa John's for that sake, uh, what are you going to do with the with the kids sitting there watching? I don't see how you could own it at this point. I I would it's recommend a, a sale. It's an opportunity to tax loss harvest and show them how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the other the other caveat to it is is it reminds us that when you have a CEO whose name is attached to the company or the right. company so closely related to the image, I mean, that poses a different kind of risk for the corporate entity as well. Yeah, sure. great point. And, but you're right, diversification matters. And, 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 and so maybe you need to pair your ownership in pizza stock with ownership in the producer of Lipitor, for example. <laughs> there you go. That's a good hedge. There I like you that. Go. Uh, one of the other things that I'll say, and, you know, generally speaking, I, I'm not a huge fan of these businesses that are that have a huge concentration in ownership, especially of the founder or the founding uh, family. Uh, you know, you see that a lot. Um, even even going back to uh, a, a project that I did in college uh, where I talked about Hershey's, uh, Hershey's is controlled by trust. That trust can basically do whatever they want. Now, they've been benevolent in most cases, but uh, a few years back they decided that uh, – they wanted to diversify their holdings, and really they had. Uh, Jarrett, you talk about diversification all the time. You probably could have led them into this, but the fact is if for all of the other holders of Hershey's, what they did was they decided that they would uh, sell their shares back to the company, their common shares, uh, in exchange for 10-to-1 voting rights and some new special shares. And in order to do this, they were going to fund it with debt that the company would actually be on the hook for. Now, there is no way in the world that you can tell me that's beneficial to yeah. equity holders 
in this case. And uh, in the in the even I think it was last year we saw a little bit more uh, where some of those folks were were self dealing the members of the trust. Uh, you know you just run a huge risk when you've got uh, ownership in such a, a concentrated spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know here we see it again with uh, Papa John's. Uh, John Schneider doing some crazy things. I think they've even removed his likeness off the front of the box. That's that's one of the things that they were doing. Now, I, you know, at this point, uh, the man's made quite a lot of money. And you know what's bizarre about this? What's that? When he stepped down, the stock spiked higher in price. Not huge, but maybe 5%. Sure. So, it, I mean, the, the market has spoken. You mm-hmm. out of the business is actually better for the business. You made money by quitting. Right. Go to the beach, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, you know, I well they know. see a resolution to the PR problem that they have exactly. with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, uh, we just have a few minutes uh, left, but I think we can cover something else here. We got Paul from Kennesaw says uh, TDS was down significantly in Wednesday's late market drop. Uh, is this an opportunity to buy? Um, I tell you what, TDS is a, a holding company, basically, uh, for another one of those family founder ownership situations. Uh, TDS, Telephone and Data Systems, uh, telecommunications company. The biggest thing that it holds uh, is uh, stock in, what is the underlying, I forget now, uh, USM. So it's uh, US Mobile, um, and, and it's a, a huge position the the uh, earnings growth over the past few years has been about 14.5%. It's not widely followed, so you don't have a lot of uh, opinion from analysts on it. But uh, when I look at what we got going on there, uh, it, it really just doesn't look like that attractive of a situation. Uh, I, you know, it's down. It's probably down for a reason, and I think you probably do well to avoid that so next week market up or down dr totoro what do you think don't know but the fed will pass and not raise rates there we go market's up if you ask me listening to money talks we'll catch you next week all material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current but accuracy cannot be guaranteed the contents are intended for general information purposes only Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.